0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at Brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com/slash Brett Fisher. And as a reminder, All the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by fellow Docker captain and engineering consultant, Laura Taco, and we go through basically the big hits of the year for us. We talk a lot about current news like the log for shell vulnerability and the HashiCorp IPO and other things that are relatable this week, but we kind of go back through the year about our biggest and favorite things and then mention a couple of things we're excited about in the future. This year in review has become a tradition of mine now, I guess, and Laura is a multi-time guest on the show for that. So I'm glad she joined us and we got to get an update on what she's doing now as a freelance consultant. So please enjoy this episode with Laura Taco, Engineering VP Consultant. Hello, everyone. We're here on Hello. the Christmas special. This is Laura.
1: Greetings. I'm- Hello, Internet. Hello. We're both Holly and or Jolly.
0: Happy Log for J uh, week. We're definitely gonna be talking about that. If if you want a break, if you want a break from the Log for Shell news. This is not the place for that because we will mention it and talk about it a little bit.
1: Yeah. And make fun of a variety of news outlets for their coverage on it. So <laughs> get ready. I pr- on Twitter, I promise like hottest hot takes of 2021. And that's definitely part of it. So
0: Yeah. So let's just lead with that. So first off, let's make oh. sure everyone knows Laura. So she's been on the show, I don't know, <sighs> half a dozen times maybe I over hand- the years.
1: A good handful of times. <laughs> yeah. But no- I was reflecting on, I was like, 2021, how long have Brett and I known each other? It's been seven years six years when did we meet each other 2014 2013 2016, 2013?
0: 20, 2016. 2016. Yeah. i thought it was
1: earlier but I still know.
0: It, it seemed but it was that was still five years ago
1: <laughs> yeah it was still five years ago so in container years those are like dog years it was, um, it was in seattle that's true so i'm no stranger to brett's little little internet show here
0: <laughs> you were here last year for an end of year special and I, let's talk about you for a second you've had a career that eventually led to VP of engineering in several places. And now you stopped working for the man and now you're working for yourself. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Brett, it's really inspiration from you. I have to say, I remember the first time I met you and you just said, I don't do well with authority. <laughs> and I was like, who's this guy? But yeah, I I was VP of engineering at an ed tech company called Aula. I, I joined in August of 2019. And mere months later, COVID hit, universities closed down. It was just a wild, wild ride working in technology that was used for teaching and learning, especially online teaching and learning. I just got, I got really tired. And I'm a person who spent, you know, the last 20 years working 60, 70 hours a week. And I just thought, hmm, is there something different? Maybe Brett's onto something. And I decided to start my own business. So I'm now an engineering leadership coach. I have clients all over the world startup founders, CTOs, engineering leaders. It's really rewarding to work with them and kind of help them level up, be the engineering leaders that they wish they had earlier in their career. Mm. And I'm doing some interim VP work right now. I'm working with a company called Nova Credit. Shout out to Nova Credit. FinTech is something that's new to me and probably maybe new to you a little bit, Brett, because I think we've stayed in the developer tool world because DevOps is, I don't know, it's our jam Yeah. and. Part of my exploration into edtech was just seeing what it's like on the outside, like not on a, <laughs> a, a team that writes software for other developers, right. but Nova's great. They're trying to help immigrants get access to financial products because credit history is such a weirdly American thing. And America likes to lock out people from financial institutions. So they're doing some really, really interesting stuff when it comes to user-initiated data transfer, InfoSec. So... Actually, this group is probably quite the right audience. If you're looking for something with a little bit more mission, Nova's hiring right now. So you can go to their website, novacredit.com, and check them out. But I really like what they do. And I don't say that lightly. So yeah, yeah, I think 2021 in summary for me was just like, being a little bit more in control, especially at a time when lots of things are out of control. So I think the greatest part about working for myself is I get to decide what's okay and what's not okay and what shit posting I can do on Twitter and what I don't want to (laughs) do. I don't have to worry about, you know, I'm my employer and I get to say no to things that I don't want to do more often. So that's been great. Yeah. I'm really happy. I'm really happy. Well, I'm happy
0: for you. I'm always willing to help anyone who wants to freelance, go solo, start their own thing, do a little startup. I've tried all these things not great at most of it. So yeah, I'm glad. Hopefully he learns something, a good habit from me and not a bad one because I have lots of bad freelancing habits, like staying up late and getting sleeping in. (laughs) like, that's a problem.
1: (laughs) Totally. I have a kid, so I can't really do that. I have to admit. (laughs) Yeah. I think Brett, you and I both have the entrepreneurial spirit. Like people just want to create something of their own instead of participating in a system that other people define for them. And I just got to a point where I was like, I've been, you know, this is not my first rodeo. This is like my 12th rodeo. And I want to, I want to run the show. So I, I contemplated doing my own product business and I thought maybe I build a business on services, but damn, it's hard.
0: Yeah.
1: I think I really appreciate now. I think when you're an engineer, it's easy to be like, Oh, marketing, what do they even do? Or um, sorry, the words Betty out of my mouth. Junod.
0: <laughs> you're right. Yeah,
1: and Betty and I have talked about this. Betty Junod, who, if you're in the Docker community, you know all about Docker selfies. That's Betty. She's absolutely brilliant and knows her shit 100 percent when it comes to cloud containers, multi-cloud. She's at VMware now. She gets a lot of it of like, oh. What do you like marketing? What do you do or undervaluing it? But now that I'm running my own company, I'm just like, damn, this stuff is hard. It's yeah. easy to sit and hack in a terminal, but having to figure out messaging that connects people, it's really difficult. So yeah. that's what I'm up to. What that, are you up that, to, Brett, That rings besides with the, in the halls? <laughs>
0: besides, yeah. besides all the lights and the colors. Well, that rings true with me because I tried a little startup on my own, a software startup uh, a little over a decade ago when Azure was new. I started a little two person when it was, mm-hmm. when no one has say it and we still don't, but <laughs> Azure, Azure, what was the other way? It's like, different way in
1: British English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different. American English says Azure and every other place where English is spoken pretty much says Azure. Maybe some of our international friends can confirm or deny that, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's how it works. So good news yeah. is you're always right. Bad news is you're always wrong when you say and,
0: it. yeah, And p- someone will point it out either way. Uh, yeah. And that was our biggest challenge. Was it was two devs making a great software product and not worrying about customers until the product was ready. And then when we had no customers, we didn't know how to get them. And that was our big struggle. Yeah,
1: it's tough. It's hard out there. Hard out there.
0: So congratulations and uh, good luck to yeah, you. So. so for me, well, I've been doing this show. This I think we're like two and a half, three years in, or something like that. We're on. This is by the way, one hundred fiftieth week. So you were here last year when we did the one hundred.
1: I was here for 100, so now I'm glad to be here for 150.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Although that means, Brett, you only took two weeks off this last year, and I'll <laughs> give you a stare of disapproval for that.
0: Yeah, or maybe we're just early. But yeah, I, def- I think I took off Thanksgiving. So let's get to some news. And the plan today is we're going to talk about some big headlines from the year that we care about, some of the current stuff going on, especially log Rochelle, shell And then we're going to talk about what our favorite tech is in, in general, like for the year. And then we're going to talk about next year. What's the future? What are we into? So the first thing up was talking about the... Our favorite uh, topic. (laughs) Security vulnerabilities.
1: Yay! Security vulnerabilities. Yay.
0: (laughs) Everybody patch. Why don't you give us a brief intro real quick, not to put you on the spot, but everyone here is probably dealing with this, so they don't need a lot of it. But for those that maybe aren't, don't have to worry about Java, what is this?
1: Is that a question for me, Brett?
0: That is a question for you. <laughs> or, or would you rather me start?
1: <laughs> no, this is a great vulnerability of just injecting random shit in your application by using one of the most pervasive, most ubiquitous logging libraries out there. So I think Brett and I, you and I were talking about before the show, It's this is not a question of, ooh, are, are you vulnerable? or where are you running log4j? That's not what this is. This is, you are using it. It is somewhere in there. If you're not aware of it, just like right. it's hiding somewhere, you need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, this is great.
0: Yeah, it's probably what on our bridges and all of it. our IoT and, and everywhere. It's on and, your
1: washing machine, Brett. If your <laughs> washing machine has an IP address. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the worst thing about it is it doesn't have to be customer facing because it can be on the back end. It doesn't have to be exposed to the internet. And just like people were joking, posting a little Slack or a little text message like this one, all it takes is a specially crafted little text in something that will eventually lead to a logging system somewhere that just happens to be running something Java, and then boom, you can basically run whatever you want there. So anyway, yeah, this is bad internet fire kind of uh, problem. It's so bad that places like Cloudflare are actually automatically blocking some of these attacks for us because they're already seeing them in the wild before... Anyone even knew that it existed. I think they were claiming December 1st was the first one they saw. But I learned a lot oh, wow. from this YouTube video from the SANS Institute, which decades ago I got a certification with them, and I love them, and they're fantastic. One of the most intensive like four-day Windows security courses. And it, 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 this was in 2004, I think, and it was on Windows. Oh, wow. So it was like showing how to hack Active Directory when Active Directory was only a few years old in a Windows world, and it was really cool. Anyway, so I have a lot of respect for them. And they had a whole live stream basically breaking everything down. What is this? What versions is it in? What versions is it, is it not? How do you mitigate? Where might you, what other attempts might you make to mitigate without patching if you can't patch? Or how do you mm-hmm. discover it? What does it look like when people are attacking? There's all, it's just great. It's worth at least skimming for 15 minutes, even if you don't think you have Java somewhere.
1: Yeah. I think that's maybe one bad consequence of the pervasiveness of of containerization and Dockers and just people just using images that other people write is that you might not know exactly what's in them. Docker had a pretty good blog post from Justin Cormack, who's now CTO. He came, did he come in from Unikernel when Docker acquired Unikernel? I think so. Justin's like one of the...
0: I might have forgot that. I thought
1: so. Because he's in Cambridge. I'm pretty sure that's where he came in. I don't know. Justin, tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) He's one of the smartest people I know, though. He's brilliant. But he's now CTO of Docker and wrote this blog post on how Docker tooling needs to be updated in order to even detect the vulnerability because Docker scan prior to a certain version didn't even detect it. So you need to make sure that everything is up to date, not just your dependencies, but give your old Docker, a little check.
0: Yeah, unikernels. And that was that was back when Docker was acquiring a bunch of companies. But yeah, he's been there forever. Absolutely. So for the cliff notes for you all is if you don't know about the Docker scan command, which basically has a built-in sneak scanner for vulnerabilities, as Mm -hmm. long as you're on the latest Docker, that's what this post is about, is like basically making sure you get your Docker desktop updated. Then you'll get the scan command. You can always obviously use sneak independently without Docker, but if you want to scan images to see whether or not they have this vulnerability. You can do that on Docker Hub, assuming you pay, by just going in and toggling the automatic scanning. I think that's part of the, what this post is talking about is mm-hmm. you can do it on Docker Hub, you can do it manually, I'm mentioning a couple of mitigations. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about just taking this class library, which is the core of the Indy JNDI vulnerability and just getting rid of it, <laughs> just, just removing yeah. it to see if you, if nothing breaks then maybe you weren't even using that class. All right, yeah. let's move on. Oh I wanna wait. share a
1: fun fact with you. Oh please! Before we move on from this, because we're talking about sneak, I learned that sneak is actually an acronym. It stands for "So Now You Know." S N Y K. What? That's where the name comes from. I know, isn't that crazy? I had no, no idea. No one has ever
0: told that. Told me that. Why am I learning this? It now? came that's from amazing. the source
1: themselves, like from sneak employees. He's I thought it call. was just like sneak, like sneaking around.
0: Right. Yeah. That my I thought, mind. Too. I was like,
1: that just it gives me a whole new level of respect. So. Yeah.
0: That's a pretty good name. Namings are hard nowadays. So the fact that it can be an acronym, but also a word that you think is another word, but there's really a hidden acronym. That's, yeah. Awesome. The more you know, cool. right? Thanks. And if Sneak
1: cool. is new to you, yeah, if Sneak is new to you, this is like an automatic vulnerability scanner for, especially if you're doing open source code, using containers, infrastructure as code, et cetera. It's great. Just add it to your CI CD pipeline, make it part of your release process. Sneak has been a tool I've been following since. I don't know, the first time they were at DockerCon when it was just still a super small company. And now they're, man, they blew up so much in the last few years. And it's great because they really fill a, an important gap. I'm always really impressed with the stuff coming out of there. So
0: good job. Yeah. All right.
1: Should we talk uh, about HashiCorp IPO? HashiCorp.
0: I didn't watch them on the bell. What I did though, unrelated to this, but another IPO this year is Udemy. Udemy went IPO in September yeah. or October, I think. It was october and i was very excited that actually knew people that were on at the ringing of the bell at the nasdaq floor. so that was yeah. kind of exciting
1: yeah one of my former colleagues from cloud bees that came in also from acquisition when codeship got acquired went to hashicorp after he left cloud bees and he must be riding a high wave. he's super super talented so that's great great to see success yeah. it's wild though we went through this period of disruption and of a lot of little guys and a lot of small tools. And now I feel like HashiCorp, you know, those companies are growing up and they're going IPO. I imagine Sneak is probably not far behind them because they're getting there as well. So Mm -hmm. turning a new chapter. Yeah, five years ago when Docker was like all the rage and there were all these small dev tool companies and now fast forward five years later, some of those small disruptors are, are going IPO and they're just as big. Yeah what's next.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going to change. Was this the year that Terraform went 1.0 or was that last year? I'm trying to think of what other milestones they had. I'm sure they've had Waypoint, I think, was announced last year. I have a hard time with history.
1: It's <laughs> so hard to remember dates. When did it go 1.0? Their last release was 44 days ago. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing news lately about 1.1. I do not know anything about it, so I was reading an article about proper environment variables in Terraform and was plotting all the things, standardization, because... Terraform is everywhere and yeah. dozens of repos on every client of mine, and it's it's just pervasive. So it's good to see it grow up so that we can actually yeah. start to can make it a little more consistent with modules and mm-hmm. all that stuff.
1: Let's move. Let's move um,
0: on. I always like Bill Gates' end-of-the-year review because it gives a much better perspective to the year than I remember, and obviously COVID is very much about that because his nonprofit is working in multiple levels with that, but... I like that he always rose colors or he gives a brighter potential for the future of fixing things. So he doesn't rant for too long and his rants are always very nice Mm -hmm. anyway.
1: If there's anyone who's in a position to literally fix any problem on earth, it's him. Yeah. (laughs) So he doesn't get ranting rights.
0: Yeah. All that Buffett money. So yeah, if you want a nice perspective of the year for the planet, like climate change and political change and the scourge of social, like all those things, uh, that's a good review. I recommend to read what's on our list.
1: Let's talk about the year in the dashboard. This is on my list. And it's really, I guess it's like 2020 and 2021 are the year of the dashboard because of COVID. I remember early 2020, just trying to get more information. And I think everybody is really familiar with the Johns Hopkins University dashboard, which is like super fancy and, and proprietary. But a lot of smaller organizations, health organizations are using Grafana. And Grafana is now in the hands of people who would have absolutely no reason to interact with Grafana in their normal day before. It just brings me so much joy. And it's a nice connecting point where Grafana is not just for nerds anymore. I can try to help explain what it is I do or help explain what it is when engineers are looking at dashboards or trying to do it, doing monitoring and observability. I can compare it to COVID and be like, well, you know how dashboards work because now everyone's familiar with them. I think it's great. It just pleases my little nerd heart to know that Grafana is <laughs> out front and center in front of so many people.
0: I think my first experience with a web dashboard was like 15 plus years ago with SharePoint. And It was oh, such yeah. a horrible, painful experience back then that I still have battle scars of KPI dashboards that were oh a bunch God. of .NET framework stuff and very specific ar- architectures. It's nice to see this yeah. stuff being very much like you're saying. If you're a cloud native shop and you're trying to run a lot of the tools, you're likely going to have Grafana in that shop. And we've not really yeah. had a consistent, I mean, maybe a few monitoring tools out there, maybe like some of the o- older open source monitoring tools that would have their own dashboard, those would maybe be in certain shops, but it's been only recently mm-hmm. that we've had an expectation that you walk into a team and they have a dashboard solution that you've heard of. And it's not yeah, some proprietary yeah. you know, solution that only works for it's that product. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: totally. I love dashboards. I actually, I really love incident response. It's a muscle that I trained really well when I was working at CodeShip and then into CloudBees. It just, I, I love more of the site reliability type work, infrastructure work. And I actually love incidents. I hate it in the moment. But I really love the spike of adrenaline that you get when something's broken. And I love being able to find out first and finding out super early because we have great reporting and great dashboards. So um, dashboards are very much my best friend, learning how to read dashboards and putting meaningful information on them are great. And yeah, my little nerd heart is so pleased. Love a good dashboard.
0: Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking like there's dashboards everywhere, like all, all the places I work and help. It's dashboard heaven.
1: <laughs> dashboard city.
0: <laughs> Imagine that being a thing where we're all like, check out my dashboard. All right, the year of the dashboard. What's next? You heard it here first. Laura coined that term. And then... The year of
1: the dashboard and the year of Linux on the desktop.
0: <laughs> That's right. <Simultaneous.
1: laughs> every year that, is the year of Linux year. on the desktop. Every year. Every year.
0: The nft world so we put nfts on the list but i don't think either one of us is an expert in it
1: absolutely not it was so funny because i was like both of us ahead of this where i feel like we need to talk about nfts but i actually don't really don't really know a lot about it so this is us being comfortable in our own lack of knowledge um but yeah crypto is just interesting i have interesting opinions, not even interesting opinions, I just have opinions on crypto. And it's just been interesting in 2021 to see blockchain adjacent things move from just cryptocurrency out into different areas and also seeing the political influence that it has about carbon footprint. And I think that's really why NFTs were on my radars because I'm following a lot of the carbon footprint of minting NFTs, the carbon footprint of cryptocurrency. And now there's in the EU at least legislation preventing them
0: I will say, though, I I don't have any information or tips, but I do learn a little bit from Kevin Rose's podcast called Modern Finance, which I think this is the year Mm. that they started that. And he has other people on. He has actually now other podcasts. He even created a NFT based membership site that only a thousand NFTs are made and you have to have one to have access So it's like a prestige thing at that point, (laughs) which a lot of this stuff is prestige, you know, bragging rights. But anyway, I learned a lot about what the potential forum, because I just thought it was just people spending money on useless things. People
1: inventing stuff. And yeah, yeah, ways to spend money.
0: And Kevin clued me in. If you've never heard of Kevin Rose, he's been around the internet for decades, including all the way back in screensaver days on the TV. That's where he got his start. And he's been doing cool journalism and just talking about cool tech stuff ever since. So smart guy. So check I've out started, Modern
1: Fun. Yeah, on the similar vein, I've started listening. Actually, my husband started listening to, and then I, by association, started listening to as well because I didn't have a choice. But now I actually really enjoy it. This podcast called My First Million, and it's the I am so I am so bad at remembering names. Sampar and Sean Puri. It's just some of it is like leading a little bit to tech broy, where they're talking about designing your life and the fact that having a Ferrari or a Maserati makes them stressed out because they're afraid of hitting the bottom of the car on their driveway. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God, can we not talk about this? But other things are just really interesting. So Brett, we talked at the start of the show of starting our own company, but the other option to being an entrepreneur is buying an existing company. And there's all these different platforms that people are selling internet businesses that you can just buy and you can look at them and see have they been optimized for X, Y, Z? What could you do if you put in just like minimal effort? And there's this particular episode that I just love and I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to <laughs> hear it, but this guy bought a dog bed company and turned it into an $8 million or something, like something crazy. He bought it for $300,000 and turned it into like a multimillion dollar, i sorry, dog ramps. It's not even dog bed and it's not a dog staircase. It's a dog ramp for people who have aging or small pets who can't get up on a bed by themselves or up onto mm-hmm. the couch. So Brett, maybe you're the target demographic for this because little Finn like needs to climb up on, right. onto your bed.
0: It's right. He, it it yeah. is a big jump. He needs, he has a step. <laughs>
1: He has a step. Yeah. Yeah. They also, going back to NFTs, they minted an NFT one of one that gets you five minutes of airtime on their podcast, which has, I don't know, millions of listeners. So that's interesting. Those experiments, I'm like, okay, this is maybe not, this is not just useless people making up things. But I found that to be kind of an interesting.
0: Yeah. I think from a tech perspective, it's interesting just because if NFTs as an idea tend to take off and it's not just a fad for people buying Nikes and, you know, $40,000 $40,000 bottles of wine. Uh. It, it'll be something where we'll end up with tech stacks. Like we'll have an NFTs tech stack that has the ability for you to buy and sell. And there's probably already a WordPress pl- plugin for all this already. So I'm already oh. behind the times or whatever, but there'll be tech stacks that we'll have to understand and build out in order to do the mining and the crypto and all that stuff or whatever so i don't even know what i'm talking about i'm just saying
1: if it's allowed i think that's that's another interesting thing i can't remember and i'm going to get this totally wrong but just take it for the sentiment but something about 90 percent of crypto or something in the u.s is mined with billing addresses in it's like south carolina or kentucky or something weird because they don't charge There's some like tax benefit of doing it there. Mm. So there's just like all these weird economic considerations as well. I think Sweden's trying to pass legislation to basically not allow cryptocurrency exchanges to happen or anything mining in Sweden. It's really like when things go off the internet and into real life that just are, you know, (laughs) it gets even weirder. (laughs) It gets even weirder. Yeah. It's even weirder. So
0: yeah. So this leads me to, I think, I don't know, it's not a weird trend maybe, but it's weird to me that we have given it a name called the great resignation. Yeah. I don't have a dog in this hunt. But you did. You're a part yeah. of it. You're Actually, I'm a actually, founding I'm a great member part of it.
1: If the great resignation is a new thing, basically it just is it's a term to represent the fact that in 2020, 2021, a bunch of people left their jobs either, you know, out of necessity because they had to deal with childcare or just because of there's got to be more to life and just burnout and trying to find something different. So if you were an engineer right now, you probably noticed this because I can guarantee the amount of recruiter volume in your LinkedIn inbox is probably quadrupled, if not more. It's hot. The hiring market in the US especially is outrageously competitive right now for Mm. engineering talent. And part of the reason why, and I had to do a little bit of debugging to, to understand this. When March 2020 hit and the world came to a grinding halt. So many companies went on hiring freezes, which meant they laid off their talent. They just laid off their talent teams, their recruiters. Then when hiring opened back up, they didn't have a recruiting muscle in their company. So now engineering managers are left to do recruiting and reach outs. And it's a mad dash for talent and Mm. engineers especially are in high demand and saying, hey, you know, I don't want to work for a company that requires me to go into the office I don't want to work for a company that says unlimited vacation. And the expectation is that you take five days off a year. Standards are going up. And it's just an interesting time out there to be working for a company. So I'm part of it. I left my job in my permanent exec job in January of this year and I haven't looked back. So
0: you're a founding member.
1: (laughs) I'm a founding member. Yeah.
0: Of the great resignation. Yeah, technically, it's been 12 years for me since my res- last resignation. Yeah, Signed since from clients. Your last resignation. I guess, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> I do end client, which when we talk about what's in the future, I will mention that getting away from client work for a while and getting purely focused on course content and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which means I happen to tell my clients, this will be the last payment or whatever. I'll have to give them like an end date because... If you're a decent enough consultant, if you show up and you do the work that you say you're going to do, they tend to keep hiring, keep paying you and keep you on. So at some point you have to kind of,
1: it's kind of the design, right? Is that you do work and then people pay you for it. (laughs) Right. Right. Are you going to save that for next of like the sneak peek of what the next course is Mm. or course?
0: I don't have, I don't have the next course picked. I'm just updating my current ones really. I don't yeah, want to give a promise yeah. of what the next course is because it'll, it'll really, I think, be based on when I'm able to do it. And I know the, the, the current courses is everybody is looking for updates too. It will definitely not be that. We can list all the ones that I won't yeah. make, Yeah. which will be a blockchain, mining, NFT course. That will not happen. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. Foundations of DevOps. I love GitHub Actions. I'd love to do a whole GitHub Actions or just like DevOps on GitHub maybe, only just because I, like I a, feel like... A lot of these courses are so generic, and they're always dealing with old tools, Jenkins, and stuff like that. and there's not a ton of stuff where they're just throwing away all the old stuff and saying, "Look, if you have Jenkins great, there's tons of Jenkins content out there, go do it. If you want the the new stuff like that is where all the action's at, let's go look at that instead. And that's kind of mm-hmm. that might be something, but yeah. I wrote this one on the list. I'm going to change the topic real quick. Everything ARM, I don't know. I lost count of how many ARM processor shows I had this year and how many times I mentioned it during regular shows. But I would say largely due to Apple's migration to ARM CPUs, but also AWS's amazing Graviton processors that just hit their V3, which is even faster and better and bigger than before. I feel like finally, a year ago, I was saying, You're going to have to start looking at ARM for multi-platform developing if you haven't. And now I'm like, 2022 is definitely going to be that year. If it wasn't that year for you, 2021, then then 2022, you're not going to be able to avoid it unless you have zero Mac users in your environment and you have no one trying to reduce cost in AWS, which is in most teams, Mm -hmm. like a constant source of frustration of cost. Pain pain and, and the gravitons <laughs> are awesome and i've tried them yeah and yeah. they work like a champ we just had liz fong jones on a couple of weeks ago with honeycomb and they migrated all of their intel architecture on aws over to the graviton threes like the day after it was announced at at aws's conference yeah and i think reinvent did it on announced it like on a monday or tuesday and i think by wednesday she was posting that they had basically migrated all their instances over to graviton oh. and it, yeah It's awesome. So if you haven't looked into any of the ARM stuff, go back in this channel, just go back to another video from earlier this year, Mm -hmm. search the word ARM, you will find, I did entire shows on um, multi-platform images, on what this means for Docker Desktop, obviously stuff about the MacBook and the Mac M1 releases Mm -hmm. and all that. But yeah, there's lots of stuff going on there. Docker, you've got to build images, multi-platform, but there's different ways that you do it. And sometimes like with Golang or .NET, you're actually cross-compiling on Intel, but your compiler does the work for you for compiling for ARMv8 or ARMv7. Mm-hmm. And then there's other languages that you need to emulate the processor or be on an actual ARM to build it. There's a lot of complexity and nuances that people don't maybe think about when you're virtualizing or you, when you're emulating inside of a virtualization and you just, your brain starts to hurt of all the different levels of CPU emulation. So anyway, for those that are new, yep. there's that was a big thing this year and Fine. I think that'll be a big thing next year too.
1: It's turtles all the way down. You're an you're in inception here in an emulation inside of an emulation. I
0: am actually a robot at this point on the internet.
1: I don't <laughs> doubt it. One last thing for me before we move on to favorite tech. Oddly enough, another crypto-related thing. A couple of months ago, there was an original copy or a contemporary copy of the Constitution for Sale. And there was a decentralized autonomous organization that fundraised a bunch and tried to bid and, and buy the Constitution And that's just, I think a great example of the internet things that impact real life. I just thought that was like, I had never in my life would have (laughs) thought that would have happened. But one one thing I'm so curious about now is obviously they, they didn't win. I mean, womp womp, I was a little bummed about it because I think that would have been cool. But now they're trying to refund all that money that was raised. So that's just logistically because it's not it was not a small amount of money. It's like many millions that mm. the winning bid was. And I think that they're pretty close to it. That was just like an interesting little crossover of Internet in real life and yeah. the impact of crypto on real civil problems. Right. And also, should people be able to own the constitution? I don't know about that. I, just, I don't know about
0: that. <laughs> I don't even know the news on this. I guess that there's multiple copies that were made and signed. And yeah. I
1: think multiple. there's, I want to say eight or nine copies okay. that were- Some were
0: privately- Produced.
1: Owned. Yeah. And I think there was one that was privately owned that went up for auction. And I actually don't know how much it sold for a lot of money also what do you do with that do you donate it to a museum or have it on loan or do you just yeah. have it in your bathroom
0: yes to all i do I I, all am, of it. I I believe that a lot of the stuff at least in the smithsonian is not necessarily owned by them yeah uh, it's just like if i go and look, look at it in, i just happened to be in washington dc for the thanksgiving holiday last month here in america and by the way the museum's there because of COVID. it was just like you had to do everything online so you couldn't just walk around and see anything unless it was outside oh because you had to have a ticket even if it was just a one dollar ticket so like the holocaust museum was one dollar ticket but you had to get it ahead of time which means you can't just go the day of you got to have plan in advance oh yeah Mm -hmm. and so that was a random topic but i wouldn't have been able to go see the constitution if i wanted to so i guess i'm gonna have to see it in someone's bathroom in order to to you're gonna have
1: to find just get an invite to that party so that you can go to the bathroom and see the constitution yeah why don't we talk about favorite tech of the year or like tech that we're excited about for 2022 you can go first, a
0: sure a couple of things actually i'll just rapid fire on them so github actions i talked about it a lot this year but i feel like this was the year where it went from sort of a budding hobby project that was maybe good in some open source repos to basically now the default at least for me it's now the default automation solution assuming all my code is on github which if your source code it is on is. GitHub, I'm pretty sure that someone else's that you're using is on GitHub. So you're going to have to use GitHub yeah. regardless. And the one caveat that I have with this platform, really the one big thing right now, was reusability all year long. And so they, in November, they announced the GA of uh, a bunch of reusable features where now I can make workflows. We can all reuse actions before and steps, but we couldn't reuse other people's entire workflows without just making a copy of it, like a template. And there's a lot of limitation there, especially if you're an organization where you're wanting to, I don't know, super lint a hundred repos in your organization. Now you have to have a super Mm -hmm. linter YAML in every repo. Well, no longer, you can now just have one repo that is the super linter master workflow that's like generic. And then every repo just points to that. And so now we can have nested workflows, nested steps. It's just, it's wonderful. Um, so amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. I spent a, a good chunk of my recent career working in CI CD tooling. So this pleases me greatly. I remember when <laughs> GitHub Actions came out, it just, I think everybody that was working on Circle CircleCI, CodeShip, whatever, we were all just, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 this is coming. This is going to be great. Like, Really yeah. happy about it, but definitely raising the bar when it comes to developer experience and keeping everything nice and tidy in GitHub. So this is a huge win. And I'm I love to see it. GitHub is yeah, it's ubiquitous. And if we can make lives easier and workflows easier, then yeah. Two thumbs up from me.
0: Yeah, I do. Obviously, I love competition, but I also love standards. And sometimes that means mm-hmm. that someone has to win in the competition. <laughs> and yeah. we have had for the longest time, I feel like the standard unofficially has been Jenkins. And I just never liked that as a default for anything. Even when it was really the only option a long, long time ago, I always try to avoid it because I just never took to it really. And I think this one is one that I can totally get behind. The one major limitation I have left is I'm trying to automate. Every- so, one of the things I've started to do is I'm having all my images rebuilt on fresh from images on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. so that ideally, like any patches or whatever, basically if the image is a year old, at least the dependencies aren't a year old. And so you can do that now. You can do cron-based workflows. However, if you do nothing in the repo for 60 days, you will get an email saying, we're going to turn off this workflow in the cron job unless you do something in the repo and it's kind of bugging me because I pay for GitHub. And I'm like, no, I just want this to run forever. You, like, mm. I have minutes. I have limits. Like, you already have all that stuff. And I really wish they'd remove that restriction because it. at that point, it feels like I'm now not able to really use this as a universal automation engine for everything because I will start getting emails that someone has to click a button. Mm. Anyway, just a thing. That's,
1: that's such an interesting billing option because I can see the intention being just to prevent outrageous bills to customers sure. that might be unaware that this thing is still turned on but it should at least be configurable to just be yeah. like i know don't warn me again just let me keep yeah. racking up and they have
0: limits for I runners mean, you- and stuff and, and yeah, yeah, yeah those are yeah. all those limits already exist so yeah it is a weird arbitrary thing that I feel like I can see that as a paid feature. If you're paying then let the cron's run forever, but if you're not paying, yeah. I mean, it.
1: can you imagine AWS sending you a bill and saying, "Hey, it looks like you left this virtual or a uh, message <laughs> saying it looks like you <laughs> left this virtual machine running."
0: <laughs> so of course, the lock for J yeah. stuff is now turning into mining. So I've I was that Sans video I was watching was talking about that they're now seeing instances of payloads coming in to load a library remotely, that will essentially make it a miner that executes. So one of the ways to tell is to just look for CPU spikes in your infrastructure, which is a general recommendation for all mining hacks. Eventually, if you're hacked enough. Yeah.
1: I think you've pointed to the source of my skepticism around anything that, like anything that needs to be mined is because anytime you execute third-party code, for example, in a CI/CD system, people will use it for mining no doubt i even think docker hub has this problem i think anything has this problem people are creating docker images and that have mining commands in them and god it's such a pain in the ass to try to build systems to detect it looking at cpu spikes all this stuff it's taken so much of my energy away that i i think it's just jaded me into being excited about anything because i'm just like ah (laughs) anyway
0: this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah,
1: that's why we can't things. have nice things. Yeah. Let's talk about one nice thing, though. I want to talk about WebAssembly. So Let's do it. I'm very interested in WebAssembly. There's a great WebAssembly in 100 seconds. Basically, this is like portable compilation target, binary instruction oh, format <laughs> for stack-based virtual machine. It's a nice way to use languages that are not designed for the web on the web. So I'm very interested about this. 1.0 is now in the major browsers. I think the reason I'm excited about it is because Butcher, who if you follow Helm, you probably know Matt Butcher. I worked with him at HP. We go back a long way. But he just left Microsoft to start a WebAssembly company called, mm-hmm. oh, I, I forgot the name of it now. Fun fact about Matt Butcher, he has a PhD in philosophy. Uh, yeah, Fermion Tech, um, working on WebAssembly. So I'm just keeping an eye out. I'm curious to see what that's gonna turn into. I'd recommend there's a WebAssembly in 100 seconds video on YouTube. That's really informative. They do really good Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm keeping an eye. I just wanna see, I wanna see what happens. I'm I'm excited. Anything that Matt Butcher does, Helm for example, turns out to be pretty useful.
0: I don't really understand a lot of the le- levels of tech on this, but all I feel like is that it's just another vector for attack that's going to be even harder to <laughs> troubleshoot and it's see just, because it's going to be b- binary payloads and it's just. Uh,
1: Excuse me, Brett. Number two is safe.
0: So, <laughs> oh, it's
1: it says safe. it right there on the website. <laughs> it's safe. It's safe.
0: Memory safe, sandbox execution. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Yeah, it's we'll like, see. We'll see
1: with a star. We thought containers were safe. We thought everything. It should
0: say safer. There should be an R on there. Safer. Safer.
1: I think a great point of it seems it'll be significant, but why hasn't it gone further of like the Docker explosion even after a few years? And I wonder if it's because Docker did explode and maybe people are just a little bit skeptical or it's not different enough that people are getting in a tizzy. Docker just was so different. And maybe WebAssembly is just not as different, a little bit more under the radar.
0: One guess is that for a lot of people, it's a solution looking for a problem. If you've been a front-end developer for years and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're solving all those problems with the the tools and the languages you have now, and this is a complete shift as, as I understand it. So yeah, I haven't met a single person that says they develop WebAssembly. Maybe I'm not hanging around the target market for this. So
1: <laughs> I guess you're irrelevant. You're becoming irrelevant, Brett.
0: Um, uh, all um. that gray in my beard.
1: <laughs> that's true. Cool. That's it. That's it for me.
0: I had one little quick one. Yeah. This contains.dev. If you haven't seen this yet, it's actually weird at first because you're not sure if you're looking at GitHub or what, but it's kind of what Mm -hmm. we always wish Docker Hub would have done. And there have been tools in the past that have done this, but it's kind of beautiful and elegant. It's a way to look in Mm -hmm. images and look through (sighs) the layers. layers. Yeah, so you can look at the layers or you can look at like the total summary of all the layers and it pulls that image stuff from github and it's pulling some of this data from github i think it's pulling it some obviously from the library which is from docker hub so it's got both and you can either go in a layer view or what's i just find interesting is that you can start diving into directories and seeing the total size of them and dive is another tool i love i used to dive cli tool all the time if you haven't heard of that one But this is just another way that I don't have to download the image. And then one of the problems with Dive, the CLI tool, is that on these bigger images, it might take a minute for it to actually finish analyzing all the layers. This is already done, so all the work has been done for you, and it's instant. But it doesn't tend to be every. It's not every image. It's just usually, I think, the official images.
1: This makes me so happy because way back when, like before f- when fig was still fig and not docker compose, I worked on a tool called imagelayers.io. Yes, which that was one of the ones Exactly I'm this. thinking of. Yeah, that was me and Gary Page. And I think Brian Dehamer and Mike Arnold, probably a a couple Mm. others. It doesn't exist anymore because this was like the graviest gravy train job that I had. But CenturyLink paid, I think we were a team of 12 just to work on Docker open source tooling like back in 2014. It was great. Then Micro Badger, Liz Rice. That's how Liz Rice and I met. Micro Badger kind of did what image layers did and did the badging to say image size, which I think is now in Docker hub, but I always found it to be super helpful listing out actually what's in the image. And then what image layers did was showed you the common shared layers, which was, um, which was pretty cool.
0: I do remember that visualization of the boxes with the lines or something. Yeah,
1: that that was a fun, that was a fun little project. It's too bad that they let that rot after. Yeah,
0: kind of killed it. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember being sad about that because I think when it sort of end of life. It was before I knew about the Dive tool or before that tool existed. So I didn't really have a way yeah. other than maybe the history command or some of the other Docker commands from the command line to, to dig into it. But the, the trick with this tool is it's not yet ingrained in my brain to use it when Let's I it need to there. look up yeah. something. Yeah, and... I need to start doing that. I don't even know who runs this thing. I don't even know. <laughs> Nutmeg Studios. Nutmeg. That's a fantastic name. It's weird. I don't know who that is. I'd love to have them <laughs> on the Santa show. Claus. Somebody, somebody get me a name. Claus. Yeah. It's
1: Santa Claus.
0: <laughs> but yeah. And I feel like even they must be doing a lot of updates. All right. Oh, no. So that's a favorite piece of tech.
1: All right. What's next for you in 2022, Brett? So- Are you developing a course?
0: I'm probably focused, working I'm just going to say I'm focusing right now on making all the current courses awesome as possible. The Docker Mastery course is going to get some new sections. I don't have a date, but we're working on those now to actually add fresh new content never before into that course to make it even better and longer. So if you're a Docker Mastery mm-hmm. customer, then you will see that stuff. For me, the only two things I'll throw out there really quick are, these are not my personal ones, but things that I am involved with because I'm now a Digital ocean Navigator which is like their influencer program Sounds or whatever. dangerous. Yeah. And they just they're just getting ready <laughs> to announce like the first cohort of that that I got to be a part of. so'm I'm, I'm grateful to them for nice. that. But they have uh, a community challenge, which I thought was this is really cool, actually. It's going on only to the end of this month. so you got to get in now if you want to do this. But basically, it's a way for them to get you to use their platform to check out their Kubernetes offering. And mm-hmm. when you do that, you sign up and you follow all their steps. you actually get to pick who to donate. $150 to that they will donate for you. And it's not that your money. Cool. It's their money. <laughs> but you yeah. get to pick who it goes to on op- in Open Collective. So open source. And then uh, you get a swag card for their store and then a swag card for the, oh, the CNCF store. F- so I feel like I don't know how long this would take. I don't know if it's an hour of time. I haven't done it myself yet. Yeah. I, I really want to do it because this last year and this year, I think we're all lacking in swag lately. None of us are going to conferences yet. So, or most of us aren't. So I need a refresh in my drawer because <laughs> all the shirts are getting worn mm-hmm. out and I need more socks is what I'm saying here. Need
1: more socks. So real quick, um, what yeah, about so me, you? I know you got to go real quick. Yeah. What am I doing in 2022? I am also going to launch a course or like a, a training program. I'm helping engineering leaders become the leaders that they wish that they had. And especially if you are wanting to grow in your career or have just moved into management or moved into a staff engineering role and find yourself uncomfortable when you got to give, I don't know, performance feedback. There's a lot of new things that you're going to have to do when you get to those higher levels, influencing people, roadmap discussions, working effectively. I'm putting together all of my lessons learned from being a VP, from being just in my career. So if you're interested, I I don't have anything yet, but I'm gonna be launching it in 2022. If you go to laurataco.com, there's a little email thing where you can sign up and just get more info, no sales spam, I promise. But that's gonna be what I'm up to and could be that Brett and I have some collaboration in the cards as well. We'll just- Maybe. Some evil
0: plan someday. Yeah, no Promises.
1: Anytime you miss me, Brett, you can just go ahead and schedule a call with me.
0: That's been a trend I've noticed this year, especially around everyone getting calendar because I guess COVID meant that they needed to schedule more things as an online problem. meeting or something. And I, I've noticed now that seems to be the default answer of my friends is I say, hey, can we hang out? And I get a <laughs> and the response is a calendar link.
1: It's like, only response yeah
0: yeah yeah haven't done that myself but maybe i should just get into the thing and just finally it's coming it.
1: if you've not done it yourself like the time the is going to be soon
0: well cool Great. thank well, you what, so much uh, for being on the show
1: yeah what a good way to wrap up the year lots of interesting things happening i think if we went back to that 100th episode we did with normal last year and you said hey in one year it's still going to be like COVID times with lockdown, and we won't yet have been like returned to normal. I think all three of us would have been like, there's no way. But yeah, here we are. So <laughs>
0: here we, we are. We made
1: it another year. Let's just hope a year from now, when we do this episode again, that we're <laughs> maybe we can be together on a beach somewhere drinking bourbon.
0: That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you again so much. And I'll look forward to this happening next year. So all of my patrons, thank you so much for being sponsors of this show. You're the reason this is possible and we can actually get all the people to support that we have in the background that are editors, podcast makers, marketers that are helping me make this thing happen. So thanks again. And you can find us on Twitter and have a happy holiday.
1: Happy holidays.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.